It's Thursday, March 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com, the co-host of Where the Money Is, David Hansen, and from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Mann. Good to see you guys. Thanks hey. for being here. Uh, we've got some retailers in the news, some good, some bad. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the situation in, well, I guess in Ukraine. <laughs> For the moment. <laughs> For the moment. And <laughs> Who knows we, where it is now? Uh, we will share with you the greatest new app of 2014, and we'll dip into the full mailbag. Well, let's start with Costco, which is down a couple percent. Their earnings were – they weren't bad, Bill, but they were definitely a stumble of sorts. And this is the third straight quarter yeah. that they have come in under expectations. I know this is a company you've watched closely for a long time. How uh, concerned um, should people be about this three-quarter trend? Not really. Okay. I mean, honestly. I mean, Costco is still winning its segment. And you know, the thing about Costco to me is that, it, is that it, it, when you – when you draw a line through everything else, Costco basically benefits from most of all, I'd say most of all, 95% of its earnings turn out to be membership dues. Like when you subtract it all back, everything else is kind of passed through. And from a, men- a membership perspective, they're fine. I mean, they, 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 they added members. They didn't meet, they didn't meet expectations for, for, for a quarter. And that's well, whatever. I mean, I think that... The, <laughs> Next story. This is terrible. Go on. No, I. I mean, it, it. It is. It is worse than outperforming, I guess, but not not much. And the market, you know, the market's reacting appropriately. I think. Well, and David, we've seen plenty of companies over the last few weeks blame the weather, and rightly so. Uh, some more than others, when you consider where their locations are concentrated. But in the case of Costco, yes, they're subject to the weather just like everyone else. But and I'm not a Costco member. But it is one of those. You're like the one. (laughs) (laughs) But it is one of those places that, unlike a coffee shop or something like that, where if you don't go one day, well, that sale is basically lost. For Costco, for people who are doing their weekly shopping, well, they're just delaying it a day or two. Exactly. I never let weather factor into anything. Well, unless you're looking at some like reinsurer or something, but it's ridiculous to put weather. Or a ski resort. Exactly. Come on, let's let it. It's ridiculous to put weather into the equation, especially for Costco. When you're valuing a company, it's the value of all future cash flows today. It's not the cash flows of one quarter. When you look at Costco, Bill, the stock, and obviously down just slightly today, where do you put it in terms of its valuation? Is it fairly valued? Is it a little cheap to you right now? Well, the thing that you recognize, and I don't want to get too deep into accounting here, but the thing you've got to recognize about Costco is that generally speaking, when they set up a new warehouse, they own the land and the building themselves. And so if you were to back all of that out, Costco is pretty cheap where it is, just on an asset basis. Uh, you know, So that's another reason why when the, when the earnings come out, I go, eh, you know, because there's a lot of stuff that when you tease it out of the balance sheet makes Costco a whole lot more valuable than it would appear. Another retailer having a much worse day is Staples. Shares are down more than 15%. That's at le- bad. At least when we walked into the studio. <laughs> uh, David, yet again, a retailer with a disappointing holiday quarter. The headline for Staples right now is that they are going to be closing about 10% of their stores in North America. Is that going to stop the bleeding? Probably won't stop the bleeding, but it's a it's a good move. Yeah, you should close your stores. Mm-hmm. They're underperforming, and they're trying to move online. Last year, they came out with their kind of reinventing the business. Let's get online. 
Oh, well, yeah, I'm glad you realized that in 2013. Oh, the internet, the internet might be important. That crazy internet (laughs) thing wasn't such of a fad. Um, So looking at this type of retailer, and it almost falls into the same bucket, not the same bucket as JCPenney, but you look at the stock, and the stock is cheap. But as you have to ask yourself, what kind of investor do you want to be? If you're a foolish investor, it becomes very hard to try to identify these businesses that are not good businesses that have really attractive valuations. So what do you want to do? Do you want to own a really good business? Because in that case, it gives you more leeway leeway with that valuation. You can be wrong about your valuation, but still be successful in a good company because they're generating cash, because they can reinvest. But when you have a company that's just flailing in the wind, you better be dead on with your valuation and be right about it. Um, And that's just something that's very hard to do over and over. That's why you don't see a lot of people buying companies that fail and just timing it perfectly. Yeah. I guess the thing that surprised me about the closing of the stores, you're right, they should be closing underperforming locations, but they're all in North America. And you dig into their European operations, the stores they have in the UK, and just as a group, they are operating at a loss. So I was a little surprised that they didn't at least give a nod in the direction of, oh, and by the way, we're also going to be taking a close look at our international operations because, sure, with that, you know, with, with a couple thousand locations in the U.S., sure, you're going to have some underperformers. Those should be closed. But I, I just felt like the CEO could have done a better job of coming out and saying, no, we really are on top of this and not just here in North America. Well, they they ass- probably didn't want to say it all at once. Yeah, too, I would right? assume that they are looking at it. Keep in mind that, you know, without – Without casting too many aspersions, it is a heck of a lot harder and a heck of a lot more expensive to let go employees in Europe than it is in the U.S. And I think that I think that Staples has a bit of a Best Buy problem. And Best Buy actually is, has has really gotten way down the road now, uh, where in the in North America they have huge footprint stores. You walk into a Staples, and it is, I mean, it's the equivalent square footage of a, of a, of of a supermarket. And I'm not sure that they need all of that space anymore. So I imagine a lot of what they're doing is rationalizing a lot of the bigger spaces, and they're moving more towards a model that will look like their European stores. I was going to say, because one of the other things I saw in the coverage today was about just that, just sort of it was referred broadly to the back of the store. And if you've ever been to a Staples, certainly the one that's close to full headquarters here, the back of the store is basically – devoid of people because yeah. that's where they keep office furniture, yeah. chairs, desks, uh, reams and reams of paper. The things that you would go into a Staples for are much closer to the front. Maybe that makes sense. But I, I, when I was reading that, I thought, yeah, you know, we talk about sales per square foot and how a business like Tiffany or Apple, they just crush that. And I yeah. thought, I wonder if Staples, I wonder if how far at the other end of the spectrum Staples is. Right. Before we dip into the full mailbag, uh, Bill, since you were in the room, uh, and we, t- you and I talked about this a little bit earlier in the week, I am curious, as an investor, what you think as you watch events unfold in the Ukraine um, with Russia moving in there. And it seems like, at least in terms of the U.S. stock market, there was there was no significant yeah, no, concern and it, it's and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but earlier in the week when you and I talked, I got the I got the feeling that you were exactly in line with that. Where it's like, well, from an investing standpoint, this really isn't much of a story. It's not that much of a story from an investing standpoint in the U.S. It is a big I, so from a geopolitical standpoint, this is the biggest story. 
that has happened since 9-11. I mean, I think it's bigger than b- bigger than the European collapse. It's bigger than Greece. This is the biggest story because you have you have one country that is really violating the uh, the, the the territorial integrity of another, and that that matters a great deal. It matters much more in Europe than it does here. And you know, so from from my standpoint. I'd almost, I'd almost rather, as a citizen of the world, I'd matter if it. I, I'd, I'd rather it matter a little more than it did. I, I think looking at this from the standpoint of being an investor is a little bit backwards because you say, well, it's going to affect earnings. Like we need to do the right thing, you know. And I don't think that the right thing has been done in the Ukraine in twenty years. I mean, we have to remember that this is that this is a country. It's not necessarily a nation uh, as of yet, and. You know, so uh, from my standpoint, I hope the right thing gets done, even if it's costly to us. Do you have any thoughts as you watch it unfold? I know that given your focus on banking and financial services, I can't imagine there are a ton of Russian banks that you're looking all that closely at or, you know, or <laughs> banks in the Ukraine. Not entirely. Um, I think it becomes really hard to look at these situations and try to predict where it goes. Say, is this the start of something huge? Let me read you. This is a quote from a New York Times article. It says, The situation has escalated into a bigger drama, tinged with Cold War-style language, strategic calculations involving not just money, but also energy and even military power. Okay? That's not about this situation. That was a quote about Cyprus last year. So we have these things crop crop up, and everyone says, This is the start of World War III. It's Cyprus. It's the Cyprus bailout. That's going to be the first domino to fall. And now we have this. And it completely be, unrelated. I mean, completely unrelated. Completely, and yeah. that quote could have been in an article about Ukraine and Russia right. and, and all the implications. So it's very hard to say this is the start of something big. It always looks like it's going to be, but like, we don't really know. I like what you did there. That was uh, <laughs> I tricked you. I, tricked I believe you, the I? magic people call that misdirection. Yes. This is a misdirection. Uh, before we get to our final story, you can always email us radio at fool.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. We talked yesterday about the Girl Scout cookies. Uh, and so from Tobin Anthony in Great Falls, Virginia, he, he writes, suggested panel question for today's podcast, new Girl Scout cookie flavors. Bacon. Next. And he suggested <laughs> bubblegum crunch. What? Bacon. Uh, uh, from someone on Twitter who identifies himself as at Rob Rob, pumpkin chocolate chip with fortified with extra gluten. Um, and I had, I had made the point yesterday that I was happy about the fact that there were no new Girl Scout cookies this year. They stuck to their knitting. They didn't try and roll out some. Some of those new ones were just Yeah, and, and Rob pointed out that, in fact, there is a new cookie this year. It's just being test marketed in a, in a few places, so not here in the D.C. area, but it's gluten-free chocolate chip shortbread. Of course. <sighs> You know, uh, there, there have been worse. That's all I'm going to say. There have been, there have been worse there. Uh, speaking of bacon, you may have seen stories about a potential bacon shortage. Certainly earlier in the week, there was the Chipotle story about the avocado shortage. Uh, but don't you worry. They call it the avocapocalypse. <laughs> Guac- guacapocalypse. Um, fortunately, there is now a new app for the alarm clock function on the iPhone where you can wake up to the smell of bacon. And this is, I checked this out, this is uh, on the iTunes uh, platform. And this is brought to us by the good people at the Oscar Mayer Institute for the Advancement of Bacon. First of all, I didn't even know that existed. (laughs) Second of all, how are you not a board member of that? 
Why aren't we there? <laughs> what are we doing? Why aren't we there? Um, now, the thing about this, you can download the app, which will – the app you can download just gives the sound of the sizzle of bacon in the frying pan. But to get the smell, you have to apply – they're only making a, a, a set number of these of this additional hardware, so you can apply at wakeupandsmellthebacon.com. All one word, wakeupandsmellthebacon.com. That's a pretty tough tease, don't you think? Like when you wake up and you smell bacon, that's like 10% of the way there to bacon happiness. Right. Like there's the eating of the bacon part that doesn't you – know, that this doesn't promise. I thought about that because my initial reaction, uh, and thanks to our colleague Jeremy Phillips who flagged this story for me, um, my initial reaction was, "This is fantastic! I got to get this thing immediately." And then I thought, "Well, now wait a minute. This is mean." On those, you know, few days in a calendar year where I wake up on a weekend, and even before my eyes are open, I can smell wafting up from the kitchen. I can smell bacon. That's a happy day. That's a happy day. That's maybe the best way to start the day, or yeah. certainly on the short list. Yeah. But I don't know, David, I, I sense from the look on your face, you're sort of agreeing with me That's there. That's a good point. I mean, it makes – as this mornings aren't bad enough. Now you're <laughs> right. going to be like – That's right. And what's more, there's no bacon, but I can smell it. It's I, terrible. That's great. I, need, I do need to get on the board and help these people out. Yeah. I, I mean, because it's a good thought. It's a beautiful thought. We're going to contact the people at Oscar Mayer at the <laughs> Institute for the Advancement of Bacon. Um, you guys are, are both sort of cutting-edge people when it comes to uh, bacon. A, a, bacon and apps. <laughs> Sorry, um, what, what, you know, from time to time, we make recommendations to our listeners. What, what's an app that, whether it's something new you've uh, added to your phone or just something that you find yourself using a lot, uh, what's an app that you find helpful for our listeners? Chef's Feed. What is that? So Chef's Feed is a is is an app. <laughs> David's pulling out his phone. This <laughs> so where where the chefs chefs in in various cities will come out and they'll say my favorite dish in the entire area is this dish that some other restaurant serves. So it's basically what the chefs in your local area are eating. Nice. Yes. David, what about you? I'm gonna go with the Yelp app. It's traditional, but it's good. I mean, anywhere you are, you can pull it up, filter the thing. I want four stars, one dollar sign. That's a useful app. I have to say that for Yelp and for TripAdvisor, I don't know if you guys have this experience, but I feel like there's enough of a critical mass on both of those platforms where I, as a consumer, can read between the lines of the reviews, Mm -hmm. particularly when it comes to TripAdvisor, where you get a sense of, well, okay, that person perhaps had expectations about that hotel that I did not have, so I'm going to discount theirs. Do you get that feeling with with Yelp and restaurant reviews? Definitely. I definitely hear on the TripAdvisor when someone's like, they didn't give us jasmine-infused water at the front desk. Can you believe this place? (laughs) Nonsense. They said it was a five-star. Yeah. Uh, I will just throw out a uh, a listening app, and obviously we we love iTunes, we love Stitcher, tune in all the platforms. But the uh, the Swell app, uh, which is a spoken word platform, it's free. I find it uh, because the podcasts that I listen to are all spoken word, and I find it to be a very handy app to uh, to use. So all that's right. my recommendation. Speaking of which, on the Swell app, you can get where the money is. The daily show that David Hansen and Matt Kopenheffer host. Uh, and I should point out that they were here when the office was closed on Monday due to snow, 
both those guys were here and they cranked out an episode. There was no – I mean, Market Foolery listeners know there was no episode of Market Foolery. I know. And you live like 12 feet away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a technical – yeah, there was a whole other – There was a thing. There was a whole other we're thing dedicated. going on there. Yeah. yeah and yeah, and David and Matt are just a lot more dedicated than yeah. I am. So check that better, out. And better Dev- people. <laughs> better people. They're more handsome. <laughs> Um, and check out Declarations. It is the free monthly newsletter from Bill Mann and the people at Motley Fool Funds. And you can get it just by going to foolfunds.com, type in your email address, and you get declarations free every month. Uh, so definitely check that out. Bill Mann, David Hansen, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you, Ben. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. <laughs>